Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by Marketsmith. Today is April 1st, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and we have two special guests today on the podcast. We have Scott O'Neill, CEO of Data Analysis Incorporated, and Steve Burke, CEO of William O'Neill and Company. Scott and Steve, thanks for being here. In addition to being executives at the O'Neill companies, Scott and Steve are also longtime portfolio managers at the firm, and both of them have survived a number of bear markets. They were also the creators of the Marketsmith product back in 2010. So we're going to talk about their experiences in the market. We'll talk about Marketsmith, and also we'll go into a number of other topics, including how to prepare for the next uptrend. But first, let's talk about the current market. The market's in a correction, and uh, it's volatile. Uh, We nearly had a fall today on uh, Monday, March 30th, but the volume was a little bit lower. Uh, The coronavirus headlines obviously continue to dominate. Guys, what are your thoughts on this market right now? Steve, go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Uh, Hey, Risha, thanks for having uh, Scott and I on. Um, uh, This has been an unprecedented, as everyone said, uh, market environment. We've had um, uh, just a tremendous uh, evaporation of wealth in the country with this uh, uh, market loss of almost you know 30 percent from that February 19th high to the bottom. Um, I'll just comment a little bit about uh, market timing and and for people that are using Marketsmith or have read Bill's book, um, they should be uh, pretty comfortable with this. And if they haven't, it would be you know um, and I'm sure Rush, you've talked about this on previous podcasts, but it's always good to go back to the basics. of um, these concepts of trying to identify significant turning points in the market. Um, And so, you know, the follow through day concept is one that that Bill had written about. Um, Actually, you know what I'll do? I've got a, let me read you guys this great quote from the second edition, if I can find it here on my computer. And this comes out of the second edition on page 47 of how to make money in stocks. Bill wrote, Recognizing when the market has hit a top or bottomed out is 50% of the whole complicated ball game. It is also the key investing skill that all too many professional and amateur investors seem to lack. And that is a very powerful statement. Um, so many people do not pay attention to the M factor and they end up thinking there's a bull market everywhere and this is when this is a situation that we're witnessing in history where uh and i'm sure people have opened up their statements uh maybe they're getting their march statements and thinking oh my god what just happened on their 401ks and and others and so there's this tendency to you know you're kind of in shock you can't freeze up and you've got to you've got to respond and if you're going to trade off of your emotions um, you could get yourself into even worse shape. And so the, the spirit behind these rules around looking for distribution during market tops and looking for what we call a follow through at a market bottom really is to help us eliminate the emotion from our, our decisions. And uh, Bill did a great job at, at really documenting how he, the mistakes that he made and then how he kind of refined this market timing strategy and how critical it is. So, um, Scott, what do you remember about, um, I mean, we've been, Scott and I have been managing capital for the family for, for, you know, decades. There are many times when Bill would pull us aside and this, 
even to seasoned people that that were managing money, um, oftentimes we would you know tweak the rule a little too much, or we'd we wouldn't interpret it in, in the most orthodox fashion. And and um, I remember uh, you and I were talking about two thousand and two, uh, what had happened during that bottom, and how how critical it was that we all get regrounded in follow through days. Um, you remember that Scott when we uh, when all the PMs got pulled in. Uh, by Bill to, to kind of review this, what what had happened. That was a that was a great uh, teaching moment, if you will. Yeah, it was. It, you know, my dad was frustrated because some of us, I mean, we were all battered and bruised, um, and some of us, including myself, we did not buy initially on that October O2 follow through, and he was not happy about that. And so, yes, we, we all got called in and we walked through it and um, uh, again, and it is important to stay very, uh, not just patient, but very balanced. And when you get a follow through, most of the time, you don't feel like buying. He says it right in the book. And likewise, um, Right before this break, where we gapped down really hard, uh, we had two days down, and then we gapped hard and, and on the NASDAQ and got to the 50-day, and then we just kept plunging. You know, there's the old saying, there's the quick and the dead. And we didn't know that this was going to materialize as it has, and we may or may not be through this yet. Uh, but what we did know was that we were going down and it was simply by monitoring the distribution day count. And that's something that the IBD uh, markets team is, is expert at at this point. I mean, you're talking about three decades of, of doing this analysis. And in that time period, you had 87 break, you had the uh, 2000 break, you had the 08 break, and now you have this. Um, but to come full circle, we don't know how bad a downtrend is going to materialize either. But what we do know through this process is that we are going down and you have to start backing away and get out. And if it really starts, because it accelerates, right, Steve, how many times have we seen where it just feeds on itself and it starts to accelerate? Yeah, no, I think, um, I'm going to quote you guys another great section out of out of uh, uh, the second edition. Um, Bill, Bill wrote this. He said, the market has a simple way of whittling all excessive pride and overblown egos down to size. After all, the whole idea is to be completely objective and recognize what the marketplace is telling you rather than try to prove that the thing you said or did yesterday or six weeks ago was right. The fastest way to take a bath in the stock market or go broke is to try to prove that you are right and the market is wrong. In the final analysis, there is only one thing you can really do when a new bear market begins. That is to have the sense to sell and get out or go short. When you get out, you should stay out until the bear market is over. This usually means nine months. And in the prolonged problem-ridden 1969 to 70 and 73 to 74 periods, it meant two years. Now, what Bill is talking about is, okay, you don't want to stay out until, you, until the market bottoms. Well, how do we determine a market bottom? That's really the, the, 
the, what the follow through concept is trying to help us address, right? So that it is so tempting for people to read the news and project their personal opinion on what they think is gonna happen. It's, a, it's an exciting intellectual exercise. I think it's gonna be a V bottom or, no, I think it's going to be a, a depression-like, uh, you know, correction. And no one knows. No one has a crystal ball. We do not have a crystal ball. We do not pretend that we have a crystal ball. So We don't predict. We don't predict. Scott and I don't watch the television. We don't have that streaming because it's exciting. We really go off of this historical model that Bill so well doc wrote about and documented. And a few... I guess about 10 or 12 years ago, we um, at William O'Neill, we we did a study and we updated uh, the study went all the way back to 1900 and we we created this poster that really helped uh, document um, the statistics around follow through days uh, at over the last 23 market cycles what you typically see and we were looking at <clears throat> you know how many days off the bottom um, would you have to wait we don't we don't look for follow throughs on the first second and third day that's typically a dead cat bounce and can lead to a lot of head fakes. So it's on day four through 10 or longer. There's a typical, um, you know, range of strength in terms of price appreciation. And there's typical volume that, that indicates the, 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 the tide is turning and the buyers are now starting to come back in force. Right. And that, that was all consistent with what Bill, uh, you know, had written about. And, and so what's really critical and as Arusha, you know, noted earlier is, um, I've seen too many examples of people who try to anticipate, I think it's going to follow through and they start putting money back at risk and they put risk on and then, uh, you get chopped up and it's death by a thousand cuts in this. And this is not one of those, oh, it's correcting back to a 50 day or 200 day and it's going to bounce back. Cause that's what it always, always did before. This is a historic, historic sell-off, and no one can really look at any example in the past to accurately think about how this is going to end up playing out, right? We don't know what the government programs. We don't know how long we're going to be in lockdown. We don't know, uh, you know, there's just, there are so many crazy numbers flying around on how many people will be unemployed. Uh, and it's not just isolated to one country, it's worldwide, right? So there's so many things here that would, should alarm you just from a pure risk perspective that it's so different that I need to be more cautious in my impatience and my enthusiasm if I'm like, especially if you're trying to make back money that you just lost, right? So a lot of these things that I'm discussing are common emotional, um, you know, traps that we all fall into. And you know, the best thing to do when you're not making progress and you're, you find that you're being emotionally charged and driven in your investing is to follow some rules. And I, I had that repeated to me. I've been at William O'Neill for 25 years. I worked with Bill um, for, uh, as a portfolio manager for at least uh, 15 of those years and, and, and run William O'Neill and company. And that was a mantra was follow your rules. They're there for a reason. So I'm going to get back to your question, Arisha. I'm sorry that, that um, uh, I'm digressing, but we did have a, a almost a follow through. It's not there yet. We, we definitely know where the low is. One thing that, that your audience should, you know, should be thinking about is if you do get a follow through, 
this is something that, that Scott and I learned in that 2002 conversation is if you get a, a follow through and you can you know, read the big picture and you can consult investors.com and markets, you'll, you'll see, okay, we, we've got it. And one of the indexes, the NASDAQ, the S&P or the Dow, uh, you have to buy something. You have to buy something. There are times when you're so scared that you're like, well, I'm gonna wait. And in 2002, mind you, we had many false signals, many false positives after the market went through its 99 bubble 2000 peak, there were many follow throughs that failed. And we just sort of gave up and said, you know, there, there are so many, it's not gonna work. Uh, Scott and I would do these little uh, positions, these little, they, they had no significant impact on our portfolio. They were simply probes, little probes, little, little probes that we would put out and we would, we would do that pretty regularly during the 2000, 2001 bear, right? But the market wore us out. And by 2002, we're, we were so negative and so cynical that we're like, ah, yeah, it's going to fail again. And we didn't do anything, right? And uh, so there was a follow through back there. And I think there was one in late 2002 and then in, in, in another one in early 2003. And the way I recall the story was... Um, you know, we were, nobody was really that active in the market. Um, I mean, no one was, we weren't investing, no one was doing any probes. And uh, one of the follow throughs started to work. And some of the high relative strength stocks started to outperform. And Bill looked at the list of all the portfolio managers and what were they buying. And, and there was only one portfolio manager on the list that had bought anything that was Bill O'Neill. And he pulled us into a room and, and we had, I know, he, true. And true. he said, he goes, we're having a, and we didn't often have a lot of meetings. We were very independently managed. Bill was great about that. He, he was very much gave every person a lot of autonomy. And I think we had probably a dozen portfolio managers. Um, and we had this meeting and I'm, Oh God, what's this about? Cause we don't normally have big meetings. And we walked into this conference room and on the wall, Bill had taped all these um, copies of IBD, the big picture page, the page that the general market indicator page, going back, I don't know, Scott, it was like probably 10 years or 15 years. Wow. And on every one of those, he had marked up all the follow-throughs by hand. And he marked the distribution. And he sort of asked us, do you guys know what a follow-through is? We're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, how come no one bought anything? And all the responses were, well, we don't think it's, it's real and it's going to fail again. And they were all these very emotional, you know, sort of, um, and he just looked at us and said, you, you absolutely have to buy something because it might be the market bottom. Not every follow through signifies the market bottom. There are many false positives, but every market bottom that we've studied over the last 23 market cycles has had a follow through day, right? Yep. So you... You say, okay, this is a, a, a characteristic that, uh, you know, it's like profiling, right? I mean, not everything you profile is going to be what you think it is, but you're going to end up with one where you're right. I'm glad I profiled it. That was a market bottom. And guess what? I got in at a really good price with some of these leading names that are showing good relative strength rank. And at that time, Bill had bought eBay. And that was his, um, a very, very successful position very, very early. And it was a, it was a relatively unknown name and no one else had bought anything. And here's Bill O'Neill with 
the only real decent growth merchandise and we're just like we're so late and we have to now wait for a proper setup and a proper base to, to try to try to get established and so he was mentally just light years ahead of us and knowing that he was just following his rules and he was very good at just compartmentalizing and not not worrying about what had happened the prior year or two and not trying to you know chase performance or make back losses you know the market doesn't care what you make or lose it, it's just going to do what it's going to do you know so um i just i love telling let me story. let, let me right. add something here steve to that exact point that's very interesting there's there's two big benefits to buying on the follow-through day and obviously you get a toehold into a couple of key positions that if it works are going to play out very significant for you. And we all know the big money is made being in at the very beginning, at the turn. There's another aspect to this that we cannot under, um, undervalue. Your mental, the thought process, you are shifting from completely out of the market and negative to gradually getting more positive on the environment in your mind. And you're making that shift along with the market. Now, occasionally it does fail. And usually they fail fairly quickly and they'll fizzle out and you back away. And we're not plungers. We incrementally move in. So, hey, no harm, no foul. But that mental shift is a big deal. Steve, you want to comment on that? Yeah, I think I think um, it's it's very very easy to get um, both on the you know on the upside when you're making a lot of money and the market seems to be you know just never never going down and giving you wonderful corrections. But you've got to be nimble and you've got to be uh, somewhat of a contrarian in your own mind to say that there's going to be a time when uh, this 11 year bull market's going to be over and I'm going to see that in the price action and likewise. For all the negativity that is in front of us regarding um, this virus and the possible impact on the economy, you you have to be a bit of a contrarian and say, but it will pass. You know, there, there's going to be a moment where the market recognizes that too, and we're going to see that in technical action, right? That's the wonderful uh, thing about using technicals to help you gauge um, the, the overall direction of the market, right? You're not, you're not using your opinion. You're not using some economic report or fundamental report. You're really measuring the tape through that index. And that represents sort of that composite man's view. And you want to want to trade in harmony with that. So I think rules help me to really just filter out the emotion. It's so easy when you talk to anyone, um, uh, to get emotional and and start projecting what you want the market to do, and that can get you into trouble. So, um, you know, we're real advocates of this. Um, um, you know, this we believe in this. I'll, I'll share this with your 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 listeners. So, um, you know, many people don't think you can time the market, but we've used this these general principles of distribution and follow through days, um, and we apply them at William O'Neill across the globe, right? So. We look at, I think we look at about 32 global markets using the same concept and we classify them. Are, they, are you in a, an uptrend? Are you in an uptrend under pressure? Are you in a downtrend? Or are you trying to make a rally attempt off of a kind of a bare environment? And what's really interesting, this, this I'd like to share this, is that the, um, the Chinese market had a follow through on March 25th. And then the, um, 
uh, Hong Kong market on the same day, then Japan followed two days later, the Japanese, the Tokyo Stock Exchange had a follow through. And then about three days, four days after that, the Indian market over there in Asia. And then I talked to some of our analysts yesterday, and I believe that even some of the markets in Europe had follow through days. The only market that has not had one is the US. Now it's sort of in sync with um, what's happening with the virus, right? It first started in China and then it moved to Europe, and then lastly, it lands in the United States. Now, that sounds bullish, right? I mean, you know, okay, some, some of the markets have followed through, but um, I looked at the charts earlier uh, to this broadcast, and the Shanghai index only needs to decline by 3.2%, and it will undercut its prior low, and the follow-through will fail. And so one of the things that we're watching is, and this is a, a nice little statistic to remember, is if you get the follow through, Steve and Scott said you have to buy something. Now that's right, and it's I'm not asked, I'm not advocating or talking about you know the whole portfolio or going on margin, but you have got to get over that that factor of like I'm just going to wait and see. You've got to you've got to put something in. It should be a very small you know part of the portfolio. Once you buy it, what's your expectation? Um, oh, we're in a brand new bull market. You know that was a come on V bottom. You know we went down really fast like a you know, like an elevator and we're gonna go up really fast like an elevator. Well, we know from studying the prior 23 market cycles that if it fails, if this follow through signal fails, it's gonna do it within two weeks. When they fail, they tend to fail within two weeks. That's not a very long time. So then if you've got risk on and you've, you've established a position, you've gotta be you know, asking yourself, okay, I'm gonna look at the prior low and we're 3% away from that, or in, in the case of Hong Kong and Japan, we're about eight or 9% away. And you might, you might think, okay, there's enough of a cushion there that I don't think we're gonna undercut that low. Well, you might be right, you might be wrong, but if, if the market can hold the low for longer than two weeks, the probability that that's the real bottom dramatically increases, right? So we're always very cautious. We always buy something. But we always know that there's this two-week test window. It might not work. And so you're, you're extra careful with how much you buy. I know too many people that plunge because, well, it's a follow-through, and they're not really thinking about you know, the, the risks of being wrong. And then if you get into a 2,000 kind of market where we had multiple, you had, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 uh, signal failures in that terrible, terrible correction, um, you don't, you start saying, I don't believe in this and you won't use it. And so, and then the next bull market will emerge and you won't be there. And so we've been using the process and Abrisha, I'll, I'll also mention, we believe in these concepts of follow through and, and, um, and, um, and distribution that about three years ago, um, our family office developed a completely algorithmic systematic strategy with no human intervention, all rules-based, that um, we call chameleon. And this strategy, the name is that we will go long the market um, when we get that follow-through day, and we will uh, reduce some of our exposure when we start to get under pressure, and then we go into a downtrend and see um, all this distribution coming into the market, we flip and we go short the market. We are running that strategy today as we speak, the family office has a, a team of quant, quants that run these systematic strategies. And we experimented with this because um, 
Bill was always, he's such an early quant. You know, he really was uh, one of the earliest, earliest adopters of the computer to rate and rank, rank stocks. In his mind, he had a, a, a near photographic memory for chart patterns and charts, but he always, he never felt that it was something that other people couldn't master. He said it was all about rules. And he tried to eloquently write down and document how this master applies, you know, all his observations in the books that he's written. So we took, we really took the spirit of the rules and we, we wrote this strategy called Chameleon. And um, I think the strategy now, I haven't seen it, Scott, I don't know if you checked it today, but I think we, I think the Chameleon strategy is up 14% year to date. Um, and it's done phenomenally well in difficult periods, right? Because of its ability to, to sense when there's um, these, these major turning points. So I, I pulled it up right now, Steve, it's at 16%. Yeah, so it's up 16%. And um, um, it's just done a phenomenal job. Did really well in, in late uh, 18 when a lot of our, our, our listeners and a lot of people that were um, uh, growth oriented discretionary managers struggled. Um, we have a group of discretionary managers and I know Scott and I know, you know how they struggled during that period, but um, um, uh, Chameleon uh, flipped and went short and completely unbiased, no opinions, just read, you know, reads the signals and says, okay, uh, you have to be short this market. So um, this and, and Steve, Chameleon is just doing with with the overall market, right? It, that's it, all it does. Yeah, long just the market, to, short the market. It just not necessarily the going with the individual stocks. It doesn't do individual stocks. It just uh, goes long and short in ETF, and it's a very um, uh, pure application of this market timing approach. And it's not meant to be a uh, you know um, a relative performance strategy, or it, it's meant to just offer you um, and offers us. Uh, some access to market timing, right? Um, you know, we, we, we know that, that is, there are times when our, our, our bias and our viewpoint is very optimistic. And by nature, as a growth investor, I would say most of your list, listeners are probably pretty optimistic people right. um, because they, you know, they, they're looking at the, at the, the, the glasses is half full. They're, they're really thinking about um, how these businesses that they're investing in are going to do well. And they're, they're not, they're not inherently, you know, uh, short biased or cynical, right? So we're predisposed the same way in the, in the family office. And then sometimes that, that causes us not to, not to respect the distribution and, and just hope that it's not going to be severe, but the computer doesn't have any emotion. It just follows the rules. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting application of, of what Bill taught us. Perfect. So Steve, let, let's, let's take a quick break here. Uh, the U.S. market is still in a correction. We're in a bear market. So obviously the key is to survive and be patient. But uh, when we return, we are going to talk about the O'Neill organization. It's a global organization. And so we'll talk with Steve and we'll hear what he's hearing from our fellow employees in China and India and, and how things are going with them with the coronavirus. We'll be back. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. 
who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot list, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Scott O'Neill and Steve Birch are our guests with Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, so let's uh, before we get into the O'Neill companies, let's let's first spend a little bit more time on the follow three day concept because we want to make sure everyone's clear on this. Uh, and and so we nearly had a couple of follow through days in the last uh, week and a half. Now the first one was on March twenty sixth. Uh, and uh, the, we had the price action, but the volume was a little bit lower. But there was one key why March 26th was going to count as a falter day. It was because on March 23rd, we were looking at that, even though it was a down day, we were looking at it as a pink rally day and counting that as the first day of an attempted rally. So, so that was the first one. And then on Monday, that was kind of the more traditional count. Uh, where we had the price, but we didn't get the volume. So neither of them qualified. Um, guys, let's talk about this fall today concept and uh, really kind of the spirit behind it, especially after such a severe sell-off. Sure, I'll, I'll take that. Um, well, that day you mentioned, uh, March 23rd, you did log your low at 6,631 on the NASDAQ. Uh, this pink rally day concept um, was really marginal. You really want that uh, the bottom is established and then you close above the previous day. And again, this is like earlier what Steve said, Bill being an early quant, he went back and just analyzed visually the charts of every bottom. Um, the follow through day is is designed a to get you in at the beginning of a new trend up. And as Steve said, there are some false positives and there's a method in deploying capital slowly, incrementally um, moving back in. No plunging. The, 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 the couple of items I want to point out first, there's a reason why we're looking on the fourth day and beyond. And it really has to do with power and also keeping you out of a, um, typically in this, in, in a hard break, you will get a short squeeze or two on the way down. You'll have the, that one fabulous day up. And if anyone is looking at their uh, MarketSmith chart, 
you had that that day is uh, March 13 as an example, and you can bet. And then there's another one actually right near the bottom, and that one is uh, March 17. You had short squeezes in there, so this is really um, not true buying for a long position. Uh, and so th that's the wrong environment we want to enter. And so being on the fourth day and beyond that keeps you out of that kind of, you know, and the news media always gets so excited on the really big day. Wow. We were up. So huge. in fact, this one day, which was, which was March 13. Okay. Uh, we're up 9%. Yeah, that was a monster day, and everyone was very, very excited about that day on the media. And right? then what happened? And Arusha, exactly. what happened the very next day? They, they just we gapped had a it down, massive, everybody. A massive gap down, and look how you'd have gotten caught, right? We were down 12.3% the next day. So Steve's talking about rules. These are sound rules to follow. It forces you to keep, if you follow them, Keep your emotion out and just be very objective and interpret what the action is telling you, what the market's telling you. Yeah, I, I think... Oh, uh, one uh, last oh, thing. Oh, go, go ahead, Hey, Arusha, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, buddy. One last thing. The follow-through day should exhibit, give you the feel of real brute strength, right? Now, yes. the, the two that we were kind of close... They, they, relative to what's been going on, they just didn't feel really powerful. And I got a great story. Steve, you and I have talked numerous times over the decades about when we get hit the next couple of days, or let's say we have a really bad day or two, the next couple of days, the market has to right itself. And talk about the percent that we've discussed. You got to make back kind of as a rule of thumb for the market to kind of correct its bad behavior the previous few days. You remember those discussions we've had? Yeah, yeah. Usually you want to make back at least half of what you gave you gave up the prior day or in the prior downtrend. So when you're measuring corrections or, you know, um, and if you guys remember these concepts of, um, of a base, right? One of the elements of looking at a trading range that a stock goes in Bill would always say, make sure the stock is in the upper half of the base, right? So this notion of 50%, you wanna see, let's say, let's say that uh, we suffer through a 10% a decline during one week of really, really ugly trading. And you get one up day and, and you're up 2%. You get another and you're up another 2%, you're up four. And then it sort of stalls. You haven't really made back half of those prior losses. You lost 10%. Now you only made back four. And Scott and I would often talk about, you know, that's not a sign of resiliency. That's not a sign of real buying demand. We really want to come in to see that there's been a reversal. There's, there's tons of volume. Um, people are paying more. We're not trying to find the, the low tick on the chart. We know, we know we're not going to get that using a follow-through day but we're gonna give that up for more assurances that we've actually turned the corner and that is the true bottom. The other thing to remember, and I tell this to our portfolio managers all the time, we have some younger ones that are not as experienced and seasoned and they're often a little impatient. You know, the, 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 the biggest thing that affects a, a newer investor is this idea that, well, I wanna make money now. And so I'm just gonna think, I'm gonna to try to extract that out of the market. And you have to 
remind people that in a real bull market, a legitimate bull market that's going to it's going to have uh, the wind at its back, where you're going to have many many opportunities. If you are a little bit late, and you don't buy exactly on the follow through day, or you you come in, uh, you know, you're you're being cautious and you buy it on the sixth or seventh day or whatever, you're still going to have plenty of time to make good money. So. I, I caution people that I know people that buy on the first, second, and third day. They're, they're not using the follow-through concept, and they're carrying a lot of risk, and they're all doing it because they're so anxious to get back in. So the rules force you to be patient, be disciplined, read that tape, you know, watch the action, and you're always grading the market. At the end of the day, you're trying to ask, where, where do I see most of the action? Is it on the buy side? Or do we have a lot more buyers than sellers? And are we seeing that in the volume and in the price? Or is it on the sell side? And then once you, you know, that's, let me add something. That's a great subject to actually um, dig a little deeper on. When Steve's right. A real bull market starts to get going. Now, the very strongest, highest RS stocks that will emerge on that follow-through day. Sometimes we've seen where they'll emerge a day or two prior. Okay, nothing is perfect, nothing's exact, but if you can get it pretty close, you're going to do really well, right? And then the next few days, a couple more stocks break out, and then the next few days, a few more, then the next week, a few more, and so that's the process. Now, it's it's uh, incrementally more profitable if you catch it at the very beginning. But Steve's right. You've got to be patient because they will emerge. And then the next group starts to emerge. Remember stocks move in groups, right? And then a few members of another group start to emerge. And in a real bull market, a true bull market, it's roughly about 40 groups that participate, give or take, right? And so, yeah, we want to be patient. And, and really like, like a robot, just systematically as our stocks are working, we say, okay, you've earned uh, the right stock market to get some more of my money. I'm going to place another trade and then another trade because they're working. The people that get tripped up are the impatient ones or the ones trying to scalp a point or two or think they're smarter than everyone else. They're always the ones that get run over. And let me, hey, Scott, let me add for the, the listeners out there that might be, you know, as we preach patience, um, some would say, well, what am I supposed to do if I'm being super disciplined and I'm not active? And, uh, you know, I might, it's like watching paint dry. Well, Scott and I sat in cash, you know, for many, many months for, I think I was in cash for almost 18 months after the market peaked in 2000. And I, I barely traded. So what did what I do? Well, <laughs> you know, you go back, number one, you go back and do your, your uh, trade analysis, what we call post analysis. Everyone should do that when you've got downtime. Um, if you're screening your charts every single day, that's great discipline. Um, but you're, you're probably getting jumpy and probably getting impatient. And then I also just personally, I read a lot um, uh, about the market. So I have a big collection of, of books from that go back to the you know, 1800s. And, and I study um, really just the psychology and how people were reporting at the time and what was going on and try to try to put myself back in history to think about parallels that might be occurring now. 
Um, it's sort of my fundamental way of, of staying in touch with, with history and seeing if I can apply that to today. So I just enjoy that. But, you know, there's so much you can do if you're not, and, and if you're also working and you're busy, you, you, you don't have to feel so, you know, I got to be glued to this every single night. If you're in a bear market, you just want to be in cash. That's one of our primary tenets is you want to trade in harmony with the direction of the market. So if the follow through fails, then you just sit on the sidelines and be patient and not, you know, you don't have to be obsessed about, uh, you know, making money. And I, I think it's going to do this and do that. It's just, it's really about discipline. The, the other interesting thing, Scott, is isn't it interesting how you and I've talked about how um, when you're in a really strong bull market, we tend, now we, we're managing a lot of businesses. We are managing portfolios. We've got a lot of things going on. So, so Scott and I can't sit in front of a monitor all day, but we do trade with margin, right? And so there is risk that our firm you know, uh, carries, and yet we're able to sleep at night. And we're able to sleep at night because we're trading in harmony with that market. You know, we're, we're, we're paying attention to the signals. We're not getting the distribution. Our, our teams have been buying at proper buy points. And we just know intuitively that, hey, this is not as stressful. But when the tenor changes, and when your team starts to, you know, the batting average goes down and they're booking more losses than normal and breakouts start to reverse and they start to fail, we start taking risk off and we start commenting to each other, hey, it's getting more difficult and something's changing in the, in the ether, right? And, you know, when you're in a good bull market, you, for those people that have read Bill's book and that really apply the principles and you're waiting for good setups to get in and you're buying great quality growth names, you'll start to see like, hey, this is what I remember. It's actually, I'm making money again. My ideas are working, right? If you start probing like Scott and I did, and we would do small probes because you'll get your hand slapped within two weeks, or you'll think you've found the new leadership, but you're in a choppy rotational market and you're like, oh my God, I lost money again and again. And so you really have to kind of get in touch with sort of um, your psychology of, I know how I think and feel, and I know how difficult it is when it's a good, strong bull market, I'm, and I'm, I'm in sync with that. And I know when I struggle and I'm, I'm throwing caution to the wind, I'm just, I'm, I don't know, I'm not using my rules and I'm losing money. Well, that's when you have to take risk off, and that's when you have to reduce your exposure, and you have to either just stop completely and give yourself a break, or really, really dial down your, your exposure. I mean, we used to do 100 Scott and I would joke about it going, yeah, I'm going to buy a hundred shares. And we knew it didn't make any difference, you know, but we, but let's of, see if it can survive. But, you know, we picked that up from Bill because I know I, I saw him do that too. And I would always wonder why is he buying a hundred shares? You know, it's like, it doesn't make any difference to his portfolio, but it's amazing. Even with a hundred share position, you look at your monitor differently and you you want to be a winner. You're like, I, I hope I'm right. I hope I'm calling it. And I don't, I'm not really obsessed with how much money I'm making with the position. I'm just trying to prove that I'm getting back in sync, that I'm reading the charts properly and I'm interpreting the tape properly and I've, I'm screening properly and I'm getting the right merchandise, right? And I'm not going to worry if, you know, yeah, I bought this great stock and I'm up 20%. I would have, should have, could I, I, I should have bought 20% of my portfolio or 50% in this thing. No, no, that's not the, the purpose. When you're in these major uh, transition periods of the market, your, your purpose is just to dip your toe in and just prove to yourself that, hey, 
I think my analysis is correct. And it's, it's going to show up in that individual trade making you money, right? And if it's a real bull market, you'll get a second trade, you'll get a third trade and a fourth trade. So those are some of the, the words of wisdom we try to set, you know, part on our, on our portfolio manager team and our younger ones. And hopefully your, your listeners can, can benefit from that. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot yeah. of it is just that, that psychology, right? It, it yeah. all of this, 90% of the game is managing yourself, right? Being, and that's what you're talking about right there, that self-awareness. And what, what Steve's talking about is we are always trying to be in sync. So he's talking about now getting back into sync with what is potentially a emerging uptrend, right? So it's a concept we talk about in our shop here, the uh, batting average, and it's a shorter term concept. So let's say you have 10 trades that you are going to put on over the next couple of weeks or so. And the first two are working. And then all of a sudden, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth aren't working. You have to be sensitive enough and objective enough and patient enough to say, okay, wait a minute, my batting average started pretty good, but now it's turned down. I need to slow down. And that's what Steve's talking about. I need to back away Either you trim, in this example, the fifth and sixth uh, purchase, and so you're kind of scaling back down. You were scaling in, but now you're coming back a little, and it's all about risk assessment and adjusting to the risk, right? And uh, probably if you're getting um, uh, some uh, stocks that aren't working for you as, or positions that you're initiating that aren't working, you need to back away much more because the probability is, and right, what we do in the stock market is a lot of probability, right, throughout. So on the flip side, if the first couple work, you go the next few and they're working, you probably are adding to those initial positions, uh, purchases one and two, and that's now four, uh, one, two, three, four, five, and six. And you keep wading in as you're getting the feedback from the market that yes, you're getting traction and it's working. And so we call that the, the batting average. And a lot of people overlook this very simple tool it will tell you very early on if you're out of sync or in sync. Now, now one thing that we know uh, during a bear market is the, the news is, is going to be terrible, right? And even at the bottom, even when you get that fall today, the news is going to, uh, to be awful. Now, one well, advantage- Look at, that, look at the, hey, Yerusha, look yeah, at the news it. right now. Yes. We've got massive hysteria everywhere. Exactly. Right. And, and, and with them, yeah, with the, with the media, everything you turn on the TV, which is why we try not to watch TV too much. Uh, it, it is hysteria. There, there, there's, there's a lot of emotion out there. Now, one advantage that we have, you know, being at O'Neill, it is a global organization. And, and Steve, you, you're, you're running William O'Neill and company, and we have divisions in China. We have in India. What are you hearing from our employees over there? Um, I, I'll just tell you uh, uh, anecdotally, and this is, uh, we, yes, we do. We've had an operation in India, in, in the Bangalore area that does, um, they actually uh, 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 do a lot of the data collection that goes into MarketSmith. 
So, um, and that's that's an interesting backstory there that, you know, people might not understand this, but there's this notion that all data is kind of the same, it's all commoditized. And I had many, many conversations with Bill about the expense to collect your own fundamental data. Um, because, you know, you can go on Google Finance and you can go to Yahoo and it seems to be everywhere. Right, exactly. What's really interesting is Bill would always come back and say, you know, that the quality control of that data is really questionable. And one of the primary inputs in some of our ratings and rankings is earnings growth and earning, you know, the EPS rank. And we, we do, we back out a lot of um, uh, our teams will back out uh, non-recurring and extraordinary items. So we're using non-GAAP earnings to really get an idea of what the operating earnings are. And so about eight years ago, 10 years ago, and, we, and we've done this here. Uh, we did this in Los Angeles since 1963. Right. We, we had a data center and we had a data collection team that was, uh, you know, uh, taking the income statement, balance sheet and cash flow statements of, on U.S. companies and building that database since the 19, early 1960s. One of the very, very first computerized stock market databases. But in, in um, I think in about 2000 and, um, 2012, 11 and 12, um, uh, I led an initiative with, along with Terry Chan, who um, is one of our executives uh, at one of our operating companies. Uh, Terry was our CIO, and we really looked at um, moving some of that to India. So we have a team over there uh, that is doing um, uh, content collection. They're, they're, they're doing a great job at, and they're working as we speak. They're all working remotely. So India just went into their 21-day uh, lockdown. Everybody has connectivity. Um, we connect to our, our data center. We use AWS, so we have good data redundancy, um, and it's working beautifully. I get updates every day. Um, we're having no slippage, and the, um, the real test for them will be when the earnings start coming out in April, and we'll have to stay on top of the earnings and get those into, into uh, our warehouse and into so it can flow to IBD and MarketSmith and our our other institutional products that, that we sell, and, and it's a top priority for them. But um, no, India India is not seen because of the, the you know, there's a lot of, you guys, I'm sure everyone's going to these websites and looking at the, the heat maps and all the, the dots, and they're looking at, there's like, you know, there's a half a dozen sites that are, that are uh, creating these KPI dashboards to get, uh, you know, leaderboards, if you will, of, you know, where are the cases and how many deaths and so on. India, um, is uh, uh, you know it's 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 a warm climate. Um, they they have had cases of the coronavirus, but it's nothing like what occurred in in uh, in China or in Europe. And I know they were concerned that they might be accelerating, and they have gone into a, a shutdown. But we're offices in southern India, um, very warm, and we're, we're we're full capacity, and we're working, so we've seen no slippage there. Um, and I don't know economically if India is going to be able to maintain a really prolonged uh, shutdown because so many people there um, uh, live hand to mouth every day. And to just tell people to shelter in place and not work, it, it just causes other uh, devastating impacts on, on the working class. And so they're going to be in a, in a difficult spot trying to weigh the, the, the cost benefits of these different policy decisions. In terms of China, what's interesting about China is we have an office in Shanghai and we have um, 
we actually have some product, uh, you know, that we've localized. So we took Market Smith and we localized that for the Chinese market. It's in, um, uh, there's Market Smith China. It's in uh, uh, simplified Chinese. It covers um, uh, Chinese A shares. It's a, it's a retail product. So we market that over there. We have another one called Market Smith India. We market that and we, we partner with a lot of brokers in, in both countries. So the team in China um, helps us with uh, Chinese data. Uh, it's a technology team um, primarily. Um, and they have been uh, back to work uh, for the last uh, 20 days. So I just had an update from our CEO over there this morning. Uh, okay. Things are returning to normal. They're not 100% normal, but, you know, Oh, sorry about the, the bell. That's the five o'clock bell. It's, uh, I don't know why that rang. But um, yeah, in terms of China, things are returning to normal. Uh, everyone is going back to the office. People are still being cautious. They're wearing masks. They're, they're, they're a little concerned about mass transit. So he said the traffic is much worse uh, as people just drive in their cars. But um, they have reopened up, you know, Beijing, Shanghai. Wow. Those cities that, that were on the periphery of where the virus really started in Wuhan. Um, we had, none of our employees caught the virus over there. Um, we had some that were vacationing in Wuhan in Hubei province uh, where the virus started and they were just part of the quarantine and the lockdown. So, you know, our takeaway was, and the Chinese have been very, very uh, strict about their, um, you know, uh, enforcement of their quarantine. There's a lot of discussion over the accuracy of their reported numbers, and there's a lot of doubt over whether their reported numbers are, are, are really, they probably underreported. It just, it's not making statistical sense. Um, but they have reopened, and they are returning to normal. And so um, we saw a report from Nike that there was a, a pretty quick rebound, that we were surprised at the order rebound flow in China itself for shoes. Um, some of the semiconductor fabs over there are, were very concerned about their ability to get the supply chain back up. That's getting restored faster than people expected. They're not at 100%, but the, the desire to go back to work is certainly there. We're going to have that in the U.S. Um, people want that normalcy, but, but my CEO tells me that um, there is still um, some tension, meaning like, you know, if somebody sneezes, or if someone's sick or sniffling, everyone, you know, you get that sort of shaming glare, like, what, why are you out, you know? Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's going to probably persist in the United States, too. We're, we're right. so much more aware with social distancing and with, um, um, you know, our, our desire not to infect anyone else and not to get infected, that I think that'll be around for um, several months. Um, uh, and that might be one of those things that that we look back on and say that was a you know, a real change in, 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 in psychological behavior uh, that was an outgrowth of this virus. But yeah, and then we have an office in London and they're, they're, in, a, they're in the midst of their lockdown. So that's pretty much shut down. And, um, and as is our offices in New York, but um, you know, the real beauty of this and one of the, one of the stocks that I'm sure our, our audience has been uh, talking about is Zoom. We, yep. we were an early adopter of that technology. We've been using them for many, many years. Um, have really uh, went through very, you know, because we're a global firm, we've used video conferencing, we've used, you know, $10,000 systems, Scott, I'm sure you remember some of those ones we had with the big cameras years ago, to yeah. video conference. and we, so we, we, we've used Zoom, we're a consumer of the product, um, and, um, you know, that's, that's allowed all of our businesses globally 
to keep operating at, at, um, at really uh, full capacity. I mean, my work day has actually gotten longer working from home. So. Yeah, it, it is kind of funny. I, I, I've heard that a number of times. It's definitely happened to me too. It's like uh, working from home, you don't really have a break now for lunch or anything like that. Um, oh, another thing is, we, I know for IBD, we moved to, for a lot of handling the phones, the customer success team, we moved to 5.9. And so that enabled us to, everyone works from home, everyone answering phones, making calls. We're all doing it from, from our homes now. Uh, we're broadcasting, we're recording webinars, we're doing the podcast, we're all at home. Um, so it is pretty remarkable how different this experience would have been maybe five years ago, seven years ago, when all of this, these cloud technologies weren't really ready uh, to, to be consumed at that point. Right. Yeah, 5.9 and Zoom are interesting. 5.9 uh, uh, as a stock itself is a very interesting um, uh, growth name to take a look at. Zoom, I, I see you have it up on the screen here. Yep. Um, um, this is one too, where you guys, everybody can see the relative strength line and the relative strength ranking in 99. If you're listening in, it's, you know, the stock is up near, yeah, it's up near, we're looking at the weekly chart right now and it's up near, it's, uh, I think that's the weekly, right? Appreciate yes. That. Yeah. I just switched to the um, weekly. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, and the, the key on a stock like that is, uh, now you've identified a, a really great one. You've got to find a low risk entry point. I'm sure, Rusha, you've talked about that over, uh, over and over, because it looks perfect here, uh, except to buy. I think right. that would be very dangerous. Um, but boy, does it look nice. This concludes part one of this episode. In part two, Scott and Steve are going to talk about some of the larger growth trends and some of the stocks that could do well in the next uptrend. Stay tuned. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at Investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.